0: Thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 67. Today's poem is by poet Annalise Gelman, titled Boy. I found it in the February 3rd, 2020 edition of The New Yorker, where it was originally published. I've been sitting on it for a while, looking forward to using it since first reading it, but I wasn't sure where to slot it in. I always knew it would be a second semester poem because it has some interesting challenges for students, but After Letter, which we ended last semester with, boy, feels like the right next step. But, before we can explore our next poem, we must revisit the previous one that students explored. Letter. It is read by me this time. Letter, by Taddeus Dobrofsky Yesterday I sent you a letter, and today on the phone you tell me you're pregnant. I pack up and return, you greet me at the airport, you're even lovelier, then in my letter that's on its way to you. We build a house, our child grows. Our parents shrink. Then in a few years of sweat and tears in which we prudently pickle cabbage and gherkins for the ever colder days. In the coloring book of our life, there are fewer and fewer blank spaces. The crayons grow shorter. We try to be precise, but even so, we go over the lines. We busy ourselves with everyday matters, and our paths are... Ever deeper, they start to look like tunnels. Meanwhile, my letter's on its way to you. You'll open it when it suits you best. The first time we heard letter, it was read by Reed High School teacher Terry DeBarger, and I've got him here again. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, since I have a guest and another teacher here with me, I'm going to run through the student analysis as I usually would. But this time I have the opportunity to allow this other teacher, this other voice, to comment on the ideas that students have provided. So we're still gonna explore the poems like we normally would, but I've broken them up a little bit more uh, granularly so that I can kind of allow another educator to to think about them, because I've already had the opportunity to kind of muse over them a fair bit. So uh, we're gonna start out by noting uh, students, a number of them noted that this poem is talking about love and presenting the speaker's understanding of love. And many of them found this to be a fairly positive thing. A student writes that you'll open it when it suits you best suggests that he's respecting his lover's choice and they are creating a suspenseful and yet lovely feeling. You'll open it when it suits you best also signifies that their love is the exact same since the start of their relationship and it was originally sent. Another writes that we busy ourselves with everyday matters shows that even though it is a simple life, it is full and enjoyable, one that they don't take for granted.
1: I think that's one of the things that I love about this poem is the the attention to detail and the noticing of particular things that the poet isn't taking for granted. So making pickles and the, mun- the mundane things of life and even the metaphor of coloring within lines, the coloring book being another mundane detail. So I do think that this poem is really kind of grounded in in, in practical things. And and I can see how that's a connection to love. I, I can see how students would make that that connection. I think it's also an obvious reading of the poem. So I think it's, it's a good first reading. It's a good first place to go. It's tricky when you read a poem because, of course, the first time you read a poem, it just kind of washes over you. And then as you read it over and over again, you may notice new things going on with it, or you may start to doubt your initial impression of it and, and look for something else. And you know, who's to say which impression is, is the more real one or the more valid one? I mean, is, is your initial impression the one you go with, or do you, do you read it on the fifth time and see something and think, oh, that's the thing that I really connect with? Yeah. Uh, not everyone certainly saw this as a
0: purely positive understanding of love. A student wrote that drawing outside the lines by accident could also mean a mistake was made. Another writes that no life is perfect and the narrator knows this. So the going over the line suggests issues with the kid or fights in the marriage. Another looks at the same line and writes that this implies that we can improve love still.
2: Yeah,
1: I think some of those things are in there and I'd push back against. I didn't, I guess I would push back against the negative reading of that because to me, the way it comes out in the poem, the context of the poem, it sounds like an acknowledgement of the inevitable shortcomings of life, that things happen and uh, you can plan and you can construct a, a, an ideal life in your brain. But the way it plays out in reality is is usually not what we had in mind, and that's okay, and that is a, a life richly lived. So my reading of that line was really was really positive, and I, maybe that's challenging to me. Maybe I need to think about what more negative. Maybe that I'm challenged by that, and I need to think about what that might mean.
0: So along this line, a student had a pretty solid topic sense that I wanted to run by you. They wrote in the poem "Letter" by Tadeusz Dobrowski, the author expresses their love for the
1: mother of his child, his child. And their imperfect life. That really lands well, and I think that's a kind of reading that shows some nuance because it's it's acknowledging that love in a family isn't one thing. It's not just the love for the family, right? Each each part of the family has its own relationship with the speaker, and so Dabrowski, if you take him to be the speaker, Dabrowski clearly articulates a layered feeling towards his partner his child what they had built together and then of course it's all connected with that that metaphor of the letter you know communication and words but I think it's a I think that's a really sound reading actually I'm, I'm impressed with that yeah that writer
0: now we had the the overwhelming positive the mixed reading but also there was a student that said that a specific line suggested a more much more limited understanding of love they wrote and this is brief but he expresses that it is starting to look like tunnels as
1: a way of expressing a feeling of being stuck. I think I, I, that reading doesn't resonate with me as much. And this poem, to me, has lots of openings and um, reaching outs rather than kind of closing ends. So when I think about the, when I reflect on the poem, I'm not really thinking of it as a as a negative poem or as a a poem of limitation or suffocation or that kind of mood feeling. That's not really what I, I get from Dabrowski. So again, I would probably think, what else in the poem points in that direction? And you said tunnels. Is that the uh, previous poem that you've looked at? or It's a line from the poem. So let's just, could we maybe listen to that line individually one more time and just reflect on it?
0: So the sentence is, we busy ourselves with everyday matters and our paths are ever deeper they start to look like tunnels.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a wonderful line to, to focus on. I think that that's a a good way of, of an effective way of doing a reading is to really pick a line that just seems strange or curious or has some hits you in a, in a surprising or delightful or upsetting way. And I do like this idea of cutting a groove in life, and we often talk about how you know you've fallen into a groove, or uh, a person has has kind of carved a groove in your own life.
0: He- um, hearing it in its context is the, the the potential limitation of love in that way. Tunnels as grooves or even ruts maybe work a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm started from a place of resistance on that, and so I'm not persuaded. I think. That speaks less to the the speaker's view of love and more to their view on their relationship, mm-hmm. which has gone from a sense of, of a sort of open possibilities to as it does when you have a child and and a life together. Um, many of those options are, are closed off naturally because you, you take this path and not that path. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that carving of tunnels, of grooves into something that resembles tunnels is a really nice way of of acknowledging the lot that Dabrowski is seeing in life. This is the way it is, and that's okay. That's, that's the way it works as you age. But I also say this as somebody who's been in a relationship for a long time, who uh, sees uh, romantic love and familial love as a long-term proposition, rather than I could certainly see somebody who is new at this, seeing that as a more... Um, fraught kind of image a teenager might see a lack of change as stagnancy rather than comfort sure absolutely and you know there's always this tension between those things you know the openness of possibility like a road can go many directions but it can also lead you to one destination and so it, there's both potential but also inevitability and direction
0: yeah So love may be an essential concept in this poem, but the central object, of course, is the letter that takes the title. And so a number of students wrote about that and how it may represent time. And I'm gonna give you a couple of those. A student writes, the author uses metaphors to emphasize the details the speaker includes when talking about what could have been the future as he is stuck in the past, because the way it was worded implies that the letter was never entirely delivered. Uh, They continue saying the use of meanwhile suggests that it still has not been read after all that time. Another writes, and I think builds off of this by saying, that this shows how fast life goes by, as the letter
1: that is sent at the start is still unopened. Yeah, all of those things are, all of that's worth thinking about. I I do wonder, why is this construction of the letter so important? Because it's the title of the poem, it's the opening line, it's the concluding image, and it does call us as readers to think about what what is happening with this. Is this some sort of nonlinear description of, of the way life happens in the moment and over weeks, months, years? I kind of wonder what is in the letter that, you know, what is, what is that, the weight that that holds and the potential of that? The way it's counterbalanced with I'm writing a letter, oh, and, you know, you tell me you're pregnant. Um, that's such an interesting tension early on in the poem. It really sets up the rest of the poem.
0: Yeah. Now, while "letter" may be the title, oddly, maybe not oddly, maybe just surprisingly, the image that is connected to time that students were most grabbed by were the crayons. And so I have a number of student explorations of those. And so they'll, they'll, these will take a minute because I got a few really good ones. A student writes that the crayons grow shorter is another metaphor for how time is running out. Another writes, later mentions how the blank spaces are being colored indicates that their life is filled with the duties of parenthood. The metaphor of the crayons helps suggest that they are talking about parenthood, taking up their time and life. Another writes, the speaker uses a lighthearted and playful object, a coloring book, in his metaphor, demonstrating that he is unbothered by the quick passage of time. And one more that kind of runs a little longer, the metaphor in the coloring book of our life is used to describe how life for the two of them will only get brighter and more exhilarating. Mentioning the crayons growing shorter shows how life will eventually come to an end. It is a grim way to describe how to, you cannot stop life
1: from ending, but you
0: can enjoy it to the fullest
1: while you live it. Those are all really thought. Pr- I mean, we could talk about each one of those probably. I, I love how they've so many students have picked up on crayons, and we all have such material connection to crayons. I mean, there's something that we've. We've all held, smelled, probably put in our mouths. Um, they're the kind of thing that we have a deep primal connection with and a great image for the poet to use. And it's not surprising to me that so many students would find something to say about them. I, I kind of bump on the, the way crayons are growing shorter and growth is usually seen as a life-giving and, and positive and expansive kind of verb, and yet it's used in the opposite way. They're they you know, the crayons are shrinking and diminishing as they do when you use them. But what an interesting play like that this is what raises language from just simple description to poetry, right? Using growing shorter rather than the crayons get shorter or the crayons shrink or the crayons are used up. Um, the way that there's that double meaning and growing is just such a cool way of, of working with that. And then the inevitability of of death is certainly a reasonable poetic topic. Um, and yeah, I think the, the, the metaphor of the coloring book really does have a, a kind of mundane except a simple and relatable tangible passage of time yeah i really enjoyed that that line of the poem i'm glad so many students were able to to pick that one out
0: now we've talked about uh, theme statements in class we're still working on them getting more comfortable with them but we've kind of explored them and talked about them as observations about universal human experience that should feel pretty true and a student wrote one that I think functions pretty well as a theme statement. If a, a very rough draft one, I think it can mm-hmm. become more concise. The best ones usually are, but I thought I'd run it by you. Life can still go by very quickly and you may not know when you are getting your life started or if it is ending.
1: Yeah. Isn't that the way life kind of plays out? I mean, we're always all in the, in, in a process of both startings and endings and until that final moment of death that's, you know ultimately waiting for us. The idea of theme, I think, is really sometimes trips students up or trips young people up, but really it's, it's getting to the why does this poem matter? Like why does this one count? And if this poem is talking about the way life can be happening, when we least expect it, when it, it happens in the small details of coloring books and crayons, and, and the letters that we write to each other. These are the kind of issues that call us back to the poem and make us think about why is this poem, for me, why does it make the poem kind of vibrate with me? Why does it make me um, hum with excitement when I, when I read it? Because it's telling me something that's just at the edge of my perception or just outside of my experience. And I think I can learn something from it. I can grasp something that I didn't quite have before. And so I'm not sure what Dubrovsky... Dubrovsky means with the poem. I mean, that's sort of a dead end to, to f- try and understand what the poet means. But I think his poem really calls me to, to think about life in in new ways and stretch a little bit to, to consider am I aware of the crayons? Am I coloring within the lines? Um, am I okay with that?
2: Yeah.
0: Now, the overwhelming number of students wanted to explore how real this timeline and the events of the poem are. And so I've got a lot of things from this. Uh, I'm going to break this first section up into two, but a number of students explored how the timeline of events just don't line up to what could possibly be reality. My student writes, the letter was the only link to reality and a real conception of time. Another writes that Dabrowski uses an extended metaphor to express a character's fantasies of the future with his expectant wife. At the poem's conclusion, The author states that the letter is on its way to his wife, suggesting that the depicted events that followed the letter's physical delivery were all merely figments of the speaker's imagination. And with them one more, the speaker wants a real relationship, but the poem's impossible timing reveals that this relationship is imaginary. Years have passed since he has sent the letter to the listener. It does not make sense, because how can years pass, and meanwhile, my letter is still on its way to you?
1: Yeah, that's really that last one is really getting at something where um, how can years pass? And I think that's hard to appreciate and wrestle with. We it's cliche. We've we have cultural stories and phrases to talk about how quickly time passes, and as true as that is, and as well known as it is, you know, babies quickly grow into adults, um, youth. Passes into adulthood. Adulthood uh, goes by quickly and old age arrives all too soon. It really just seems that we need constant reminders of that. I mean, it's very simple. We can put it on a bumper sticker, but that doesn't mean that we feel it in our bones all the time. And so when Dabrowski writes this, it calls that back to us in a fresh way that should be maybe a little disturbing or a little exciting to us that we're being reminded of this truth again. But I I'm not so concerned about the comprehensibility of the timeline. I think I guess I'm okay with it being a little loopy and a little beyond my understanding because I know that poets play with things like obscurity and um, confusion. I don't know. Did you did you have a need yourself to to kind of plot it out and say, all right, this is this is the first event, this is the second event, and when does this happen? I don't know that it undermines the. The, the reality of any of the events in the poem, it might suggest that they're imaginary, that this isn't a relationship, but I kind of want it to be a real marriage, a real well, relationship.
0: And the fact that you want it to be, I think, is a truth to how effectively the want of the speaker is conveyed. Right. Right. Uh, I do have some more along that same track. A student writes, having the poem begin with yesterday completely contradicts the entire bulk of the poem. As the bulk of it is about the life the speaker and the listener made and spent together... At the end, the letter is still apparently on its way. Making the letter be sent yesterday and still be on its way at this current moment could be a way to display the fact that the life the listener and speaker had together wasn't real. Another writes that the line, meanwhile, my letter's on its way to you, expresses that all of those events occurred during the span of the letter being sent, which proves that none of this is real. And finally, it was all a figment of imagination. She has not gotten the letter yet and is constantly hinted at as she never received it in the story as the letter is on the way to her. The narrator thought about all of this to imagine the excitement of the listener receiving the letter. And I think my observation here is that they really want this imagined version of the reception to come true.
1: Mm. Yeah. And isn't that part of what you know, giving a present or writing a letter is about, you know, you, you formulate it in your head, you're thinking about it, you put it to paper you, that you've created it. And then there's that anticipation of they're going to get it, they're going to react to it. And um, that may be something that's a little lost in our current technology of sending text messages. You know, you you send something very quickly and something is responded to very quickly. However, there are those that you craft very carefully because you want to get them just right and then you you hope that they wake up in the morning and read it or you hope that that when they get done with practice and are back at their phone they can they can read that and you look forward to the reaction. And
0: sometimes you look at the phone and it still says it's been delivered and not read. Right. And your heart breaks a little bit.
1: Right. And that that knowing that you have words that you have language that you formulated but has not yet been received. Like that's a really interesting gap, that liminal space of, on the one hand, we have our words and we've we've put them together, we've designed them, we've crafted them, and yet they haven't landed with the audience. Like that's, you know, I think that's a lot of what people experience with language because we play out in our head things that we think. We, we we you know, come up with a perfect thing to say. And when we're done recording this podcast, you and I will both think of much smarter things to, <laughs> to say about this poem in life. And we'll say, ah, I wish I had done that. And perhaps this poem suggests that with the, the device of the letter being how imperfect communication is. I'm, I'm intrigued, though, that so many students see at, at the core a certain deception or dishonesty or a an illusory nature. To or
0: just I hope, I think.
1: Yeah. Like they want to read it as uh, impossible. And I think that's an interesting impulse. I don't know that it's knowable one way or the other you know it, that's and it's sort of beside the point of the poem yeah but the beauty of the poem is is in this swirl of present and past and the passage of time all condensed into this little beautiful you know word package
0: now uh, students had other details outside of the the actual chronology to explore in terms of what makes this fantasy one writes there are fewer and fewer blank spaces could be interpreted as the author filling in the fantasies and beginning to believe all that he imagines is actually happening. I have a longer one, so that's going to take a couple, Uh, but this one student writes at length saying, uh, Tadius Dabrowski writes, from the point of view of a man that has deluded himself into thinking he is or will be in a relationship with a woman he has imagined an entire life with, a fantasy conveying the most ideal love, free of conflict, in his poem, Letter. Dabrowski tells a story that portrays a perfect story, so perfect, in fact, that it seems unreal, like horror concepts of fictitious stories and tropes were pieced together to create an unrealistic, naive story from the perspective of someone that misunderstands the reality of love. The two building their lives together in sentences that provide only a vague, generic idea of what a happy life and love are supposed to look like, without any specifics of their life or conflict, emphasize how unrealistic it is. And one last student writes that where love is portrayed in an unrealistic type of manner, he just sent her the letter and he goes off into this fantasy world.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, I find myself questioning the, the, the attention to fantasy and um, the doubt of the speaker's words. And I wonder why why I resist that so much. So I want to think on that because it's there's this possibility that this is a, a very deluded speaker and has... You know, it's a, a, about imagining things. But then, you know, why does he ground it with things like very concrete images like the pickles or the, the metaphor of coloring and the, the concrete example of the crayons? So
0: they feel too mundane to be imagined, like too ordinary?
1: Well, the whole poem could be, I mean, it's always a possibility, right? Like, how do we know if anything is real? Do, you know, can we trust our senses? And, you know, maybe this guy is, is uh, you know, kind of heading off into a left field in a delusion. But as a poem about delusion, it doesn't strike me as, like, that doesn't strike me as very compelling. It's just sort of a dead end. So if you say, here's this guy imagining a, a fictitious relationship and aren't boys silly that like there's that kind of poem and it maybe it works for some people that way. I think for me, I like this poem more as a poem about the complexity and richness of life and how it happens in the blink of an eye. It happens in the space of time that you put a stamp on a letter and the time it's received. It happens in simple ways like coloring in books and doing domestic tasks like making canning vegetables.
0: Do you think that our age plays a part in that different reading for us? Having an imagined version of what a relationship is, it's outside of our experience for a while. We've been in long-term relationships. We've had these partners that we have routines and comforts and all that stuff Mm -hmm. with, but for a teenager having an imagined idealized version of what this relationship could become is maybe the norm. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that influences that reading.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the, every audience is going to bring their perspectives and and experiences to the poem. So I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to invalidate the person. Of who course, yes. Yeah. Is you know this is a, a big made up thing. I would just say that the evidence. It's not even the evidence for it. Like you know this isn't an argument. It's a piece of art, and I think it looks better. I think the light that it looks better, and I think the 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 story that it tells. Is is richer to me if it's about nuance and complexity, rather than being about delusion. And it's not to say you couldn't write a really interesting and um, powerful poem about being deluded in love,
0: and especially one that is pretty comfortable and familiar to young people
1: who mm-hmm. maybe feel that more days than not. <laughs> right. But I I think this actually is a fair representation in some ways of not the idealized version of love, but the reality of love, which is that it happens over a long period of time. It happens in the blink of an eye. I mean, the distance between, you know, when you're 16, the difference between 16 and 18 is is quite a chasm. I mean, that's a, a lot of your life and a lot of lived experience. The difference for you and I have, you know, we've both been in marriages that have lasted, it can be measured in decades. And, that makes something, the passage of time sort of seem both more awe-striking, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that we have been married this long. And also we've lived it. It's mundane. It's 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 happened. So perhaps this is a difference of reading when you come to it with the eyes of youth versus the eyes of experience. And I would just say that poetry sometimes, all literature, but I think poetry is really good at helping us enter into spaces that we haven't lived yet. Um, It can certainly remind us of things that we've left, but I wonder if this is a kind of poem that might serve as a model for somebody who hasn't quite, you know, (laughs) they're 18, they haven't, they're 16, they're 15, they haven't lived a a two-decade relationship with another person. As an adult, that's okay, but maybe this poem gives them a sense of some of the, the nuances of that experience.
0: Nice. Now, uh, the last thing I usually explore in my students' analysis is how they look at the organization, the construction, the syntax. It is always wildly impressive for students, especially, I think, ninth graders, to kind of dig into how a poem is organized. It's, it's a bit of nuance that is specific to constructing with language in art form like this, and that they even attempt it baffles me, but I'm always really impressed when they do. Uh, a student writes that the poem starts with a very professional tone. And by that, I think they mean not romantic, but rather factual, right? It's just, Mm -hmm. Oh, I sent a letter, which I think is accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, another writes that the speaker shows the passage of years in a single sentence. We build a house. Our child grows. Our parents shrink. This tells the listener that everything that happened in that span of time is because of the letter the speaker sent. The letter the speaker sent years ago created a path for the rest of their life. It's encapsulated in a brief moment. Another ocean comments is on the structure of the sentences, writing that the sentence becomes very long when describing his house, family, and job. It feels like this lifestyle could go on
1: forever. Yeah, those are all good ways of, of starting to think about how structure of a poem adds to its effect. It adds to its feeling. So, you know, you could have written a different poem that would have said something like, I sent you a letter and it hasn't yet arrived. And then told, you know, described essentially the same poem. And it would have had a really different effect. Um, Similarly, you could say like, you know, we've been together these many years. The crayons are getting shorter. The parents are getting older. The kid's aging. And I remember once I sent you a letter and it strangely hasn't arrived and I hope it does someday. Again, it's a really different kind of poem um, and Dabrowski has picked this particular one because I think the the, the letter bookends the this significant chunk in the middle about the relationship and the the, the time that they're having together and what what is thinking about that yeah well, the speakers thinking about it I mean,
0: yeah another student writes that Dabrowski never directly refers to these events as mere dreams because he employs the present tense throughout the entire poem with we busy ourselves with everyday matters. On those we's, the student writes, the word we is used five other times in the poem, among others like us and you and I, he is emphasizing his interconnected relationship with whoever you is in the poem, the listener.
1: Which, going back to some of our earlier comments, maybe is a little bit of why I'm not pulled to the idea of this being fantasy. Because if this were a completely you know, self-involved person, I think they would, I guess they'd lean heavier on the I and not not spend so much effort constructing a we. But maybe if they were
0: imagining this hopeful possibility of the future, mm-hmm. the we is all they would want to provide themselves because the I right. would be isolating.
1: Right, right.
0: Uh, and last, uh, our, our yeah. final observation, a student writes that closing off with two very short sentences and the final letter arriving could mean The person is on the brink of death or even has died.
1: There's a real strangeness to that letter being sent yesterday, the way the poem occurs in present tense, and we're still waiting on the letter. So that, I think that comment really gets to the, what is that about? And I'm not sure I need to know. I think it's an interesting question to answer, like try and answer and try and explore I'm not sure I need to know the answer to really enjoy the poem. Um, as a general rule, I shy away from poems that have a dead speaker that isn't explicitly addressed as as such. So if if you think, oh, maybe the speaker of this poem has already died, maybe, um, but I want pretty concrete evidence for that because that seems like a kind of exceptional narrative position to be in i mean most of us haven't died most of well most most people have died but most of us listening to this podcast have not died. very few people listening to the podcast now are dead yes yes um and so i i just don't find that as compelling uh you know i mean maybe they're on the moon maybe they're in you know in the Marianas trench like okay you know they could that's a possibility
0: but i do think that the student points to the, the truncation of the sentences as feeling pretty darn final. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that finality comes through that connection to death, even if it might be a bit of an overreach, it's not mm-hmm. otherwise connected.
1: Well, aren't there different kinds of finality though? Like death sure. death is the ultimate finality, but there's there's lots of finality. I think it's hinted at when the, the grooves become tunnels, that by making some choices you have excluded other choices. And by by creating certain habits, you've you've denied other habits and that can that cuts both ways i mean it's good and bad but that's the cool thing about life and the cool thing about this poem is it, it explores and it draws our attention to over time we create a life and it takes years but it also takes however many lines the poem is i forget
0: the poem is 14 lines
1: 14 lines so it's the pseudo sonnet yeah um and because it's fourteen lines, I would look for some some of those other markers of sonnets just to see if those were in place. So if we're talking about structure, mm-hmm. um, I really appreciate the way people are trying to talk about line length, sentence length, um, the organization of this image at the beginning or at the end. And then I would I would say for for reading going forward, sonnets are such a a, a central piece of the poetic vernacular that okay, what do, we, what do we know about 14-line poems? And can we kind of graph some of our knowledge about that onto this? Uh, again, I think that's not 100% going to be there. Just like it's a, not 100% that the speaker is dead or not 100% that the speaker is hallucinating. We can consider the possibilities, to see if there's any evidence if it helps our reading in any
0: way. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, that is the last of the quotations and things that I've grabbed from students. Um, but for ninth grade students, Exploring poetry that is contemporary and maybe a little bit unsure of the reality of things overall. Like, what is your impression of the responses that I've collected for you?
1: Oh, I really enjoyed the responses. I think they're, I think what I've seen is a range of thinking and I've seen a depth of thinking. And I think as a teacher of, uh, I teach mostly 11th and 12th graders, um, I struggle to get this kind of response from students. So I think they're well on their way to reading poetry in a more, um, in a way that's more typical of school or in a way that we're trying to teach as English teachers, because, um, you know, remember the first, the first thing that we, we have for poetry is just, and really the last thing is love. Like we have affection and attachment to words and it speaks to us. And so it makes us want to pump our fist or, uh, jump up and down, or curl up in a ball and cry. Like, there are a range of things poems can do for us. Sometimes all at the same time. Sometimes it's all in the same poem. Same line, same word, even. Um, and those are the really... And, and the study of poetry is really just wallowing in this kind of pleasure. You know, just saying, all right, why do I love that particular lyric? Why do I love that particular couplet? Why do I... When that song comes on, i will I will always listen to up to at least this point because I want to hear those words that I already know spoken again. Um, I think that's just the magic of poetry as an art form, and I've never gotten tired of it. I just learn more and more, and it makes me want to you know, revisit a poem like this again and again. Uh, not like in the same day. It's not like I want to do nothing but read the letter. Sure. But um, I know that when I come back to it ages and ages hence, there's going to be something there um, that I didn't see before. There's going to be something there that because my life has changed and because I'm in a different place, I'm going to see something that I had not seen before. And I'm going to realize something about myself and the world that I hadn't realized before.
0: Excellent. Uh, I really appreciate you joining me to kind of look at these student responses, especially with a different set of eyes. I mean, I do this, Every few weeks, but it is nice to be able to see how someone else who is fairly well versed in this medium looks at the work that my students are doing. Because there are a few of the things that you said that hadn't occurred to me when I was considering the, the writing that they've done. So I really appreciate you coming in and rejoining us for a poem
1: that you already introduced to us the first time. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about a good poem and uh, such interesting and thoughtful responses.
0: Our next poem is "Boy." by Annelise Gelman. This selection feels like a natural place of continuation from where Letter led us. In Dubrovsky's poem, we are unsure of the reality of the events being described, and it seems possible that the poem is an imagined narrative. Here, Gelman provides us with a character and multiple settings, and there is even action within those settings. But it's hard to know entirely what the boy of the poem wants. It is hard to be sure if this character is a boy. Like Rita Dove's Heart to Heart and John Montague's The Fight, this poem never names its central figure. Dove never uses the word heart after the title, and Montague never uses the word egg, despite each poem having these as their most important objects. In Gelman's poem, the boy is only ever referred to with pronouns, like he, him, or his. Maybe, like in letter... There's something more figurative happening here. Maybe this is a poem about feeling, like a boy, whatever that means. Is it a boy like at the start of a hero's journey? Is it a boy who thinks the world expects something more, like a man? Maybe something else entirely. Or maybe this is just a boy. And there are other interesting extensions of the kind of imagining done in letter. How much of the actions or places are real, and which, if any, are representative instead of feelings. If there is anything clear and entirely honest about the poem, it is that it is strongly emotive. Who has never felt like silence was used as punishment? Who has never felt like they were ignored by the world? The real innovation this poem offers students that they may not have seen before are the blank spaces it provides, I'm very interested to see how students approach these. Are they intended to remain empty or to be filled in, like, oh, Mad Libs? For students who are unsure about what to do with all these figurative details, and there are still more I haven't mentioned, there's still plenty that is physical and real. Basically, every kind of imagery is here, should students wish to explore them. Tactile, auditory, visual, subjective, even some kinetic and kinesthetic, if you can remember what those ones were. Oh... And there's a bit of a paradox at the end as well. What of that? Ask me what a paradox is in class, if you'd like me to explain a bit. Now, our writing task for this week involves quotations. We have practiced using forward slashes before. When we quote a sentence that starts on one line and ends on the next, we put a slash to show where the line break is. This time we're using two forward slashes to indicate a stanza break. Stanzas are groups of lines that are bundled together, students often think of them as being similar to paragraphs. There are six stanzas in this poem, each with three lines, but only four of them have sentences that go from one stanza to the next. These are between stanza two and three, He walked among the trees like a gallery. Stanzas three and four, His whole life, even the streamlets. Stanza four and five, The dew evaporates and five and six, without touching his body. If you quote any of these, be sure to use two forward slashes to note the location of the break between the two stanzas. Our secret passphrase is a bit easier. All I want you to do is use the word youth. You can use it as a noun, his youth or a youth, for example, or as a modifier by describing something as youthful. Here's boy by poet Annelise Gelman. It is read by my Facebook friend and occasional discussion antagonist, John Nightingale.
2: He found himself kneeling in mud and asked the river for forgiveness. The river punished him with silence. His whole life it had consumed him, the fear of doing it wrong. And now? He walked among the trees like a gallery, uncertain where to start, afraid of looking at them wrong or in the wrong order his whole life. Even the streamlets. The streamlets had shied from him like mice. He, to be. In the clearing the dew evaporates. The grass looks dull, dutiful. One by one the components of feeling slide around his body without touching his body. His body is a snow globe. His thoughts, snow. In him, on him, falls the snow. He is buried, utterly, like the sea is buried by the rain.
0: A paragraph responding to this prompt is due on the Friday that ends this week, and your two replies to other students are due on the Wednesday after. Students, be sure to use the word youth in some form in your response, as this is your secret passphrase. This is not a poem to use previous passphrases though, like the speaker or the listener. We have a third person narrator here. So those two terms, they don't really make sense for this poem. For our writing task. Be sure to use two forward slashes to indicate a stanza break in at least one of your quotations. Don't forget to make use of our previous writing tasks for quality writing. Include a claim with a clear what and how. Provide a basic summary before you start exploring evidence. Use the poet's last name by itself once you've used their full name. And use single slashes for line breaks. And consider the variety of your sentence beginnings. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, want to provide a reading or would like the class to direct their eyes towards a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on lightandteaches.com or on Twitter. I am at Light and Teaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class. Instructional activities and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 67 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent.